Dear Christian friends, this week is our national election. Today is our observance of Reformation Sunday. What, what do the election and Reformation have in common? I think it could be said that both of them deal with a very important topic for us, the topic of freedom. The Reformation, of course, dealt with the freedom that we have in Christ, the freedom that was being stripped or robbed of God's people from the Roman Catholic Church that said the only way to, to be right with God was through works and not through Jesus alone. Many would contend that freedom is also on the ballot this week as we cast our votes for the next president, whether you're of, of the party that is concerned or, or fearing, fearful of the agenda of the other political party and the freedoms that might be lost if that party is elected, or you're concerned about the current president who, who maybe acts unilaterally and, and his own actions and behavior that, that stand alone perhaps are a threat to our freedoms. Either way, that, that common theme is there in both of these. However, that's about where it stops, the, the matter or the topic, the word freedom itself. But when we dig into what those freedoms are, they couldn't be more different. The one freedom, of course, deals with worldly, temporal freedom. The other is spiritual, eternal freedom. One deals with our citizenship here as, as members or citizens of this nation. The other as citizens of a heavenly kingdom. One can and may perhaps someday be taken from us. The other never can. So during this month of November up through Thanksgiving, we're going to be focusing on that freedom that we have in Christ. While we certainly appreciate the, the many blessings that have been ours as citizens of this great nation for, for so long, that freedom is temporary, isn't it? The freedom we have in Jesus is eternal. And so we want to focus on the far greater blessings that God holds out to us for being free in Christ, a freedom that allows us to face judgment, a freedom that allows us to face death and a freedom, as we'll see on the last Sunday of this series, a freedom that allows us, yes, even to be ruled. Now, if we're going to fully appreciate that freedom, we have to know where its source is and why it is actually such a big deal to us. First of all, this, this freedom is ours. Yes, it, it's wonderful because it enjoys us to, uh, to serve God and others, not out of fear or coercion or threat but out of gratitude and thanks. But that, that freedom, being free in Christ, means even more to us. It means that we are, are free from the guilt of sin. Free from, as we'll see later in this series, the, the fear of death itself, and free from the control of Satan. Those are the blessings of, of being free. And that freedom was at risk of being lost to the Galatians. That's really why the Apostle Paul wrote this letter to the Galatian Christians. They had heard the gospel, they had known the gospel, they had believed it. They knew what it was to rejoice in the freedom they, they had in Christ. And yet there was a very real threat to that freedom. Paul addressed them and really that great concern that really is where this letter is coming from. Earlier in his letter to Galatians, in the first chapter, he writes to them in verse 6, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. 
Paul couldn't comprehend it. These, these believers who knew what it meant to, to be in Jesus were suddenly at risk of turning away from that freedom they had in the gospel. So why is Paul so concerned? What was uh, behind all of this? Well, there were some among them who were peddling a different message than what Paul had preached. A message that said, in addition to Jesus, don't think that that, that lets you off the hook from all of the, the regulations uh, that you are still bound to and the restrictions that you have to keep, what you eat and what you wear and how you live. Those things still all matter. In fact, they went so far as to even accuse Paul in his preaching and teaching of eliminating those concerns, those restrictions, in order to make his message more attractive to his listeners. But they were contending that, that in addition to Jesus, one still needed to live according to the laws that God had given to his people in the Old Testament. And lest anybody would think that, that this is something that was only a concern in Paul's day, it's still very much a threat and a risk to Christians today. Granted, it's a little bit more subtle, but, but I'm sure that you have heard, and maybe even if you're not aware, found yourself thinking this way or even proclaiming a, a similar message that we hear today. It goes something like this. Well, well, Christians would never wear or eat or watch or read blank. No Christian can, in, in good conscience, ever shop at such and such store or, or give this company its business or support that organization. No Christian could ever vote for blank. You can't be a Christian and blank. You know, it doesn't matter what you fill in any one of those blanks because any response is essentially like taking an asterisk and putting it right next to salvation through Jesus alone and saying, well, yeah, but there's a little bit more that is required. Jesus alone isn't sufficient. It's Jesus and wearing, doing, speaking, saying, living this way or that way. And if that's the case, if we find ourselves speaking that way or believing that way, that, that Jesus isn't alone enough, Jesus alone isn't enough, but, but how we live, what we do is also a requirement for heaven. Are we really any different than the very enemies of the gospel that Paul was addressing or defending against in his letter to the Galatians? And this is no small matter, mind you, that, that Paul is taking up here. This is the very issue of, of souls at stake and eternities at stake. And Paul made that clear when he spoke rather harshly as he continued, still in the first chapter, kind of introducing where this letter to the Galatians is coming from. Listen to what he says in verses 8 and 9. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let him be eternally condemned. As we have already said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let him be eternally condemned. Paul felt so strongly about this issue that he knew that it couldn't be the gospel and anything else that was required for our salvation, that he was willing to say that anybody, even an angel, doesn't matter who it would be, anybody proclaiming a message of salvation by Jesus and something else, let him be eternally condemned. Does that phrase sound familiar? Let him be condemned? It's a phrase, it, it's words that were directed, a threat really directed to Martin Luther and the other reformers and anybody who stood to question what the Roman Catholic Church was teaching in that day and age during Luther's time 500 years ago. 
where the Roman Catholic Church said that faith in Jesus along with good works were required for salvation. And Martin Luther came along and other reformers along with him before and after him who raised the question, but the Bible says that we're saved through faith, we're saved by grace. And the Roman Catholic Church said anybody who teaches that kind of a message, let him be condemned. How ironic then that the church was guilty of the very same thing that Paul was addressing in his letter to the Galatians. The enemies of the gospel who were saying Jesus wasn't enough, it was faith in Jesus and living, doing, working. And the Roman Catholic Church in, in Martin Luther's day had turned the tables and, and they said to, to Luther and others who said that salvation was by faith through grace alone, they said anybody who teaches that message, let him be eternally condemned. Why is this message so, so serious, so devastating? Because, as we mentioned, it calls into question the certainty and the assurance of one's salvation. So def to defend and to contend for this truth, that's where we pick it up in our, our lesson for today, our verses from Galatians chapter 5, now later on in his letter. And Paul encourages the Galatians and you and me today and always in verse 1, he says, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Consider that picture that Paul chooses to use there, burdened by a yoke of slavery. It's a very appropriate picture, and, and I, I wonder if Paul had in mind the words of Jesus who in Matthew's gospel is recorded in the 11th chapter as, as inviting everybody who's weary and worn out and burdened spiritually to come to him for rest. And he encourages us, then he says, to take my yoke. Take that yoke of forgiveness. Take the yoke of knowing that Jesus has done it all for you. Put on that yoke and rest easy. Have no doubts about where you stand before God because Jesus has done it all and paid for your sins. You are at peace with him. And Paul takes that same picture here of a yoke and he says, why would you take that yoke that, that Jesus offers us and replace it with this unbearable yoke, the burden of the law, an impossible weight for, for anybody ever to bear? He's trying to point out how ludicrous it would be for anybody to, to have known this freedom and this rest, this peace that comes through Jesus and then set it aside and want to replace that with this impossible burden of the yoke of the law. Paul feels so strongly about this, knows with such certainty at, at, at the jeopardy, the, the, the risk that exists in replacing one yoke for the other, the yoke of the, the law, that he goes on to point out three devastating consequences of doing so, of, of putting oneself back under the law instead of the freedom that we have in Christ. The first one he points out to us, continuing in verse 2, he says, Mark my words, I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, another way of saying if you bind yourself to the law, Christ will be of no value to you at all. In other words, if you want to put that yoke of the law on, then realize that Jesus means nothing. He is worthless. There's, there's no place for him in your life if you're going to wear the burden of the law. Imagine an edited version of the Bible, one in which every reference to Jesus, to Christ, to the Messiah, to, to our Savior, all of those are cut and, and edited, uh, removed from Scripture. 
what would you have left in the Bible? You would have law. Now, you would have references to God's love for his people, but the only way that anybody would understand God's love for his people would be on the conditional basis of their ability to keep the law. And so nobody's certainty would, would ever be a guaranteed thing. It would always be in doubt. It would always be in question if God's love for us was dependent on our observance of the law, bearing that yoke of slavery that Paul referred to. Thank goodness that that is no Bible. There is no, no word of Scripture that exists where Jesus has been removed. But that's what somebody does when they put themselves under the yoke of the law. They take Christ out of the picture and he is of no value to them. And the real danger of taking Christ out of the picture and, and then being under the burden of the law is really kind of segues into Paul's second point, the second devastating consequence of, of choosing to go back to the law. In verse 3, he says, Again, I declare to, to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law. So not only is Christ of no value, but now there is no place for you to pick and choose from, from the law. It's all or nothing. It's all the way from A to Z. It's, it's every uh, I that needs to be dotted, every T that needs to be crossed. You don't get to just pick and choose the law to bind yourself to part of it is to be bound to all of it. And that is an impossible task. Martin Luther knew full well from his own experience, his time as a monk in a monastery and, and his experience with other monks, how any desire to think that, that peace could be achieved simply by observing and keeping the law actually always had the adverse effect. Luther described how, how murderers were known to be more at peace when they faced death than even the, the saint, saintliest saints, those monks who tried to, to keep the law, but then the more they tried, the more difficult it was found. Listen to, to what Luther wrote about that very topic of trying to be right with God by keeping the law. He says, Thus it is certainly true that those who keep the law do not keep it. The more men try to satisfy the law, the more they transgress it. The more someone tries to bring peace to his conscience through his own righteousness, the more disquieted he makes it. The law appears to hold out this, this alluring promise of some sort of, of utopia. And yet it's all a mirage, leaving souls merely parched with an unquenchable thirst that the law can never satisfy. In addition to those two devastating consequences of, of, of putting ourselves under the law, thinking that's how we satisfy God, there is a third that, that Paul points out. In verse 4, he says, You are, who are trying to be justified by law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. So not only does Jesus mean nothing to you, not only have you bound yourself to the entire law, which is an impossible task for anyone, but on top of all of it, in choosing that route, you have fallen from grace. Picture your relationship with God as being established this way. God, God in his grace comes to you and he scoops you up in the palm of his hand. 
God in his grace gives you the faith to even believe that he is your savior. He chooses you to be his own and he holds you in the palm of his hand. And as you are resting there, suspended in the palm of his hand, you look all around you and you see falling here and there the allure and, and enticement of achievements and accomplishments that are, are promised through the observance of the law. And after a while, you start to wonder and, and you start to get curious and, and you look and, and you reach and you grab and you stretch too far and you fall out of the palm of God's hand into the abyss, reaching for the promise of some sort of achievement or accomplishment or some commendation or, or accolades from, from men that can, can be achieved through the law that, that doesn't actually exist. To try to achieve that worth and that value in God's sight that only comes through Jesus is an impossible task that ends up resulting in, in any who pursue it falling from grace into the abyss, separated from God forever. So what is the, the antidote, the solution that, that Paul offers? Well, we rejoice because we today know what Martin Luther was so excited and ecstatic to have discovered in Scripture. That this yoke, this burden of the law will not bring anybody any bit closer to the Lord. In fact, all it does is shows us how far apart we are because of our sin from him. But Luther and we know a better way. And Paul painted the picture of the better way for us in verse 5. He says, But by faith we eagerly await through the Spirit the righteousness for which we hope. A righteousness that isn't earned or won or deserved by observance to the law, but a righteousness that, that Paul reminds us is by faith. Simply believing that Jesus is enough. Not Jesus and, but only Jesus. And that our faith, that our freedom is only found in Jesus. That our righteousness and the freedom that comes with it is not by works, it's not by observance of the law, but only through faith in Jesus. And so, dear friends, maybe for many of you, as, as the other matter of freedom is, is an issue this week, as, as we go and, and place and cast our, our votes for the next president of the United States of America, whatever concerns you have about freedoms being lost, rejoice Nonetheless, no matter the outcome, in the freedom that we have in Christ, a freedom that cannot ever be taken from you. And brothers and sisters in Christ, in that freedom that comes through faith in Christ and his righteousness, stand firm. Amen.